Hi and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hi Jen, welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast Sunny Side Up. We're happy to have you here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well today. Great. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about the last few days? You've been traveling a lot and uh, we thank you for taking the time to participate in this episode. And it'll be great to hear about you. Tell the audience about yourself, a bit about your current role as CMO at Madison Logic. And of course, what's a typical day at work like for you? Just tell us all about this. Okay, that's a lot of questions for my jet lag, but I'll see what I can do. (laughs) Let's go back from Singapore. I just did three weeks of travel where I went to London and then Austin, Texas, and then Singapore. In London and in Singapore, we actually just did an ABM symposium with a lot of ABMers from both London and Singapore. It was a lot of fun. And of course, I went to the Serious Decision Summit in Austin. And so I guess as CMO at Madison Logic, obviously my, my role requires some travel. Fundamentally, I run two different teams at Madison Logic. I run the marketing team and I run our content marketing services team where we actually produce content for our clients. And my marketing team is really based on three big pillars and I have directors for those pillars, but one is product marketing, right? Being that translation layer from sales to product and product to sales and both of those to marketing. One is ABM and demand gen, you know, not only filling the top of the funnel, but driving accounts to close and even nurturing them beyond. And of course, the other is kind of like a corporate marketing and coordination, which is where we put our social, our content, our videos, basically everything that doesn't get covered in the other two pillars. And so there is no such thing as a typical day at work for me, I swear. A typical day. So I'm based in Seattle, but Madison Logic mm-hmm. headquarters is in New York City. So a typical day for me includes getting up very early because I start my day with New York and drinking a cup of tea and looking out over the Puget Sound while fielding emails and phone calls. And that's a typical day at home. But of course, in New York, I start my day in the office itself with meetings, Mm -hmm. or I'm on the road a lot. So you've probably found this with a lot of the CMOs you interviewed. There's no such thing as a typical day. It's just handling what comes at you and trying to carve out enough time to handle the strategy and the budget and the management that's supposed to be our actual job. Absolutely. All of it very interesting also. So I'm sure in your line of work, especially given that you're a CMO at Madison Logic, ABM is a household term for you. It's a household term in B2B marketing. Can you tell us what you foresee? What are the trends that are going to take over ABM in the next couple of months, in the next couple of years? How is account-based marketing and account-based selling going to shape up? So this is fascinating to me, especially given the time that I've spent in EMEA and APAC recently. Because ABM Mm -hmm. is shaping up a bit differently depending on your region. So in North America, it is a strategy that we're all using. What always amuses me is that at least for enterprise B2B sales, ABM is ancient to some extent. I, I have, in fact, been known to call it sales, but now with a digital assist. Because what happened... Years and years ago, well, a salesperson would own an account, they'd have to talk to multiple members of the buying committee, and they'd have to come up with a strategy to close the deal. Now marketing is involved, and we've decided to brand it as ABM. So I don't see ABM dying, because even before it had a name, it was something that we had to do as companies, and that marketing didn't support sales in it. It was honestly a miss on our part, not something new on theirs. What's fascinating is What we're trying to figure out now as an industry is what constitutes ABM, 
you know, I've talked to some of my colleagues who believe that ABM is only for the the tip top of the accounts, right? The ones that are really one-to-one and only that can really be considered ABM and everything else is target account marketing. More companies consider their ABM approach to be tiered out, right? You have the one-to-one accounts that are depending on the size of your organization, somewhere between 10 and 100 accounts. Then you've got the next tier, which is, you know, hundreds to thousands. And then you've got, you know, almost the traditional marketing tier where you're trying to, you have thousands and thousands of accounts that you're trying to make aware of who you are and what you do. So looking at this trend and looking at the controversy around like what actually constitutes ABM versus target account marketing, and is it account-based marketing or is it account-based sales or is it account-based everything? I think we're going to start really identifying some of our vocabulary around it. And I also think that One thing that we're going to start doing is it turns out that there's, it feels like thousands of ABM platforms out there, right? Madison Logic, of course, being one of them, but we don't all have the same feature set. And you can compare that to, for example, Mm -hmm. marketing automation platforms where they don't maybe have the same peripheral features, but their basic features are the same. ABM is not there yet. We're not a mature enough industry. And so I think what we're going to see is we're going to either start calling ourselves different things than ABM platforms, or we're going to have to really agree upon a feature set or, or the market's going to force us into certain feature sets. Right. That's very interesting. So in all of this, I'm sure you're seeing hyper-personalization play a big role and you probably help your clients achieve better results because of hyper-personalization. So how do you suggest companies scale this effort to gain more ROI? Well, Madison Logic itself doesn't have personalization as part of our offering. Mm-hmm. We partner very closely with Marketo to do, for example, the on-site personalization. Um, mm-hmm. We do hyper-targeting, which allows people to do hyper-personalization right, in their in their own way in, in when they're doing specifically ABM advertising online. So okay. what's interesting about hyper-personalization is that, so let's look at this in tiers. So when you're looking on a one-to-one basis, right, the top tier of accounts that we were talking about, it's hyper-personalized because you're basically handcrafting everything. So that's the opposite of scale. When you're talking about the one-to-many, for example, you're doing something like industry targeting and tokenization or personalization based on IP address, which gets really hilariously bad sometimes. Right. Then you're talking about the moment you try to scale something like that, you introduce a margin for error, right? We were talking about the the IP targeting getting hilariously bad sometimes. But also you're starting to introduce a creepiness factor. And I've been talking with my colleagues about what's the difference between personalization and being creepy. So it's a line that we're trying to figure out. It's a line that varies by region. If you talk to EMEA because of GDPR concerns, Europe will tend to be more sensitive to personalization and creepiness there, right? Like, how do you know who I am? Delete my information. But if you're talking about North America or APAC, it's not as big of a deal or as much of a concern right now when you're trying to get ROI on your campaigns. Yeah. And what's interesting is I think I just came across a news article today, just before we started this conversation. It was about Microsoft pushing for the America region to have a law similar to GDPR. So let's see how that shapes up. And if that really happens, uh, I think B2B marketing is set for a big change then. It depends who you are, because of course, at Madison Logic, because we have a big European presence, we are fully GDPR compliant globally. So Mm -hmm. we've already taken the hit basically in our Mm -hmm. database. 
However, right. our clients are given us feedback that, of course, their conversion rates went way up when we started marketing to people who actually wanted to be marketed to. <laughs> Lo and behold. Right. Yeah. That optimizes the effort as well. So there is a win there. So why not? <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure when you run campaigns, uh, you definitely do see a lot of friction between sales and marketing. I mean, uh, it's very commonplace. So what are your top five suggestions for teams to deal with this and to ensure a more successful outcome together? Top five. So number one, manage expectations up front. Include sales mm-hmm. early on so that you're not suddenly having an argument based on, but wait, I'm trying to build the account list. Oh no, we're trying to market to target accounts. You don't want to laterally make a decision as a marketing team. You have to involve sales honestly earlier than you want to. Number two is then, of course, you want to stay in lockstep as you proceed. You want to make sure that sales is comfortable with the lead flow. You want to make sure that sales is familiar with the way that you're scoring your leads or your accounts. And you want to make sure that you're getting feedback as a marketing team and letting them know what changes you're making. Number three, I'm not sure I even have five. Number three is to um, <laughs> is to make sure you've got a nurture track going as well. When I first did account-based marketing, I will admit that I just tossed the leads over to sales or tossed the accounts over to sales without nurturing them because after all, we were doing a lot more one-to-one and they weren't ready yet. Right. And that backfired. So mm-hmm. making sure you've got your full funnel contact plan mapped out and that, that marketing isn't mm-hmm. just doing basically account and lead generation and tossing them over the fence. Number four is um, I'm thinking more along the lines of being agile with what you do, being willing to change and understanding mm-hmm. that it's you as a marketing team that really has to probably change more and faster than sales themselves. So right. marketing is one to many, sales is one to one. We can be more agile because we can change our campaigns and programs and impact more accounts at once. And then my number Absolutely. 5 tip is the best way to achieve sales and marketing alignment in my opinion is to drink with sales. Whether that's a cup of coffee, if you don't like alcohol, or going out and and discussing things over a beer or whatnot. And the funniest thing is, as I mentioned, my fifth tip, don't be afraid to drink with sales in every region. I get a lot of head nods. So (laughs) that's one of the best ways to reduce friction is to to really build up that personal relationship. Yeah, and I vouch for it. (laughs) See, there you go. It it seems to be be the number one way to do it. But for me, it's, it's my fifth tip simply because it's funnier. Right. Great insight. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see B2B and tech marketers make when they're using ABM platforms or when they're implementing strategies? So the number one mistake is expecting a platform to compensate for a lack of strategy. If you don't know what you're trying to do and the biggest and the tactics that you want to use to get there, then technology is not going to help you. Yeah, technology is not magic. So my first career was actually in technology before I moved over into marketing with my job at HubSpot about a decade ago. And Mm -hmm. my saying used to be, all technology does is make a bad process happen faster. Right. (laughs) And technology, of course, since then has opened up this world of being able to do targeting. You know, I can sit in Seattle and target anyone in the world with ads or get leads from any company in the world. And that's awesome. And technology has made that possible. But if I'm not targeting the right companies, or I don't know why I'm getting those leads and what I'm going to do with them, then it's useless. Then I basically wasted money on my tech stack. Yeah. 
your tech stack, a lot of time, a lot of effort. So exactly. You know, it's like pouring money into a hole if you don't know what you're trying to do with, know, with your tools. Yes. Yeah. The first question is always, what are you trying to do? That's in line with our next question, because what you're trying to do will obviously then determine what kind of top features you should be looking for in an ABM platform. But according to you, what are some of the top features someone who is looking at investing in a platform for the first time should have and should look for? Well, I actually think you almost answered the question, right? First, determine what you're trying to do and then determine the technology you want to get there and really do your assessment of is it the right tool to get you there? As I said earlier in this conversation, there are so many companies like Madison Logic that call ourselves ABM platforms, and yet no two of us have the same features. So you need to figure out what matrix of technology features do these platforms have? And then what are you trying to do and use that accordingly? You also have to assess reach, for example. Oh, if I'm trying to target Australian companies with my digital advertising, then can that platform do it, right? Make sure that that all your boxes are ticked. Mm -hmm. So no conversation in B2B marketing is complete without a little bit of talk on data. What kind of customer behavioral insights and data are key in any given ABM strategy? What do you generally focus on? And a very specific question here, do you see a rise in use of intent data? Then what kind of intent data or especially a rise in install tech data? Well, first, I have to confess that we just launched the ML data cloud. That includes Mm -hmm. intent data, first-party data from customer integrations for marketing automation and CRM platforms, firmographic data, technographic data, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? A ton of data like put all into our data management platform and making it usable for ABM. So I have Mm -hmm. to confess that since we do this, I am massively biased. (laughs) So (laughs) Obviously, yeah. But I can tell you what I think is exciting about at least what we can do with our data. So for example, with intent data, we store 18 months of intent data. So one thing that I'm actually doing with my own accounts is we're looking at who's closed over the past six months and then looking at what they were trending on, what topics they were trending on three months before close, six months, nine months before close. And then, of course, mm-hmm. then getting those topics and given our ICP, which current companies not in our company list are now trending on those topics. So right. there's some really okay. cool stuff you can do that's beyond, oh, hey, we do really well with customers that use Marketo and Salesforce and that are in the software industry and can go one further and say, And they're trending on exactly, you know, what our current customers were trending on nine months ago. Right. So next, can you tell us about some of the most successful campaigns you've run as CMO at Madison Logic? I've only been at Madison Logic since August. So even though Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to my one year anniversary this coming August, we are currently in testing stages. So I will say that we ran our first Madison Logic on Madison Logic campaign. And so far, according to the visible multi-touch attribution model that we use, it has almost a 4x ROI, which is great. Right. It is. Yeah. So that's successful. And especially since that was really my saying, okay, let me take, I actually took 
firmographic and technographic information and then ran the campaign according to what they were trending on for intent and did Mm -hmm. lead gen and display advertising only like no video advertising or anything and I'm pretty happy with that ROI so far but now that I have a head of ABM she's starting to run much more complex programs and I'm looking forward to uh, what those are. Great. All the best with those. And so the next question, what MarTech sales tech products and why would you say are going to gain more attention in 2019? Besides, of course, ABM platforms. Well, right. I'm trying not to say the same thing that I did around data, right? Um, Right. (laughs) So at this point, I think what we need is consolidation, right? The MarTech 5000 has now become the MarTech 7000. And it's exhausting to deal with, quite frankly. I think what becomes interesting, of course, are the tools that help us integrate the tools with each other and Mm -hmm. the tools that help us kind of find the refined data source that we need, right? It's so easy to have tons of data everywhere, but how do you use it? And so tools that really help you figure out how to use it and also maintain its cleanliness and and help your systems talk to each other. I think that at this point, that's what we're thirsty for as an industry. Great. Jen, thank you for spending your time with us. I know you've been a little jet lagged and uh, I hope you feel better soon. And uh, are there any key takeaways and a few words of advice you'd like to share before we wrap up for the day? I think I've given most of my advice here, but just to kind of wrap it up. um, Number one in ABM or actually anything you're trying to do with, especially with technology is identify what you're trying to do before you buy things to try to execute on it. And number two is never be afraid to drink with sales. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've got. (laughs) Great. Thank you, Jen. I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you. You too.